0: Hello people! Welcome to the When in Yorkshire podcast. I hope you are all very well. It has been way too long since the last episode. Um, Apologies for that. It's due to contracting COVID um, and life. Um, But I've got loads of great episodes coming up, um, which I'm really excited to share. This is episode 54, finally, which was recorded way back in July twenty-one. Um, and this features Andy Farrow of Northern Music Company. Now, this was this was probably one of the first times that I'd visited Soltaire, um and that's a, a genuinely beautiful village just outside of Bradford um, in West Yorkshire. Um, Andy was great to chat to, um, and it was really interesting for me to hear from someone who manages, publishes and, and books bands as well um, about the changes that he's seen in the music industry throughout his career. Uh, We chat about some of the bands that he works with and has worked with, um, including Opeth, Devon Townsend, um, Paradise Lost, um, and then Wild Hearts, um, and many, many more. Now, just like my other guests, Andy was very, very honest. Um, He was happy to cover a whole range of topics. um, And as somebody who is fascinated by the, the kind of the workings of the music industry, um, that are often kept in the background i loved hearing about his experiences and and his thoughts on on the future of touring um streaming and uh, and kind of vinyl's importance in a in a kind of monetary side um and publicity side for for artists bands um and the industry as a whole um i could quite easily have continued chatting to Andy for ages um but alas i think if my memory is correct i actually made him late. And for visiting one of Saltaire's uh, fine beverage emporiums. Um, hopefully we can catch up again in the future. Um, but for now, I'm not going to chat for any longer. I've kept you all waiting long enough for another episode. So this is episode 54 with Andy Farrow of Northern Music Company. Okay, so I'm here with Andy Farrow of Northern Music. How are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm not too bad. I've just got back from uh, Bloodstock Festival, which was... Uh... Had the headliner, Devin Townsend, who put a spectacular show on. He's, he's Canadian, so we had to do a COVID risk assessment and quarantine him for 10 days. And he, as a headliner, he got a good fee, but, I mean, the costs were phenomenal. Yeah. And we also had Paradise Lost doing Draconian Times, the Wild Arts on, and Svalbard, Here's a band that we book. So it was kind of, uh, yeah, I've just tested myself, feeling a bit rough today, but uh, I'm <laughs> all right. And it was a bit of a, you know, to kind of go and see that amount of people after all this time. It, it, it's certainly a bit of a culture shock. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Is that is that the first event you've, kind of public event that you've attended since since the easing of restrictions? No,
1: no, no, because I basically, the download pilot, which was the first government pilot scheme, I had the wild arts on yeah. that. Unfortunately, it was a historic moment. It wasn't the best gig for them because all the monitors went down and they didn't finish their set. I saw that,
0: I saw that, yeah, yeah I saw so an apology.
1: So, so prior to that, I put them on in Bradford. They did a socially distanced seated gig at the night train, which was interesting, you know, because they're quite a loud <laughs> yeah. band. But, you know, it was great, and I got them another warm up in Lancaster, just in a pub outside. And also, I'd been to Tony Wright from Television, a uh, socially ah, okay. distanced gig so you know i've done download two socially distanced gigs bloodstock and then i'm going to beautiful days next weekend oh, amazing yeah right, who have you got
0: have you got somebody up down uh beautiful
1: days? Well, beautiful days i have uh it's my brother's festival that he does with the levelers and i've got ferocious dog playing oh, who are uh, on my label i've just signed them they've got an album called the hope coming out in october and i also publish them so i'm going for a meeting with them and uh See them blow the tent apart.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and they will. I've, uh, I've, mm. I've, I can't remember who I've seen though. I saw them supporting somebody, and I was just absolutely yeah. shocked. I, d- I didn't know what to expect, yeah. but the energy was insane. Well, I I'm mean, they're a very,
1: you know, they were very—you know—they were like a DIY band that had huge following. They sold out Rock City, mm. eighteen hundred people, unsigned. So I've signed them, and even the amount of pre-orders, I will put them in the charts, and the general business will say, well, who's this band? Because yeah. when you talk to major promoters, or other people are like, well, who are they? So there's a lot of, you know, my background's kind of DIY punk, and there's a lot of bands like this that are building big fan bases that necessary business might not know about. Yeah. And maybe, you know, with COVID and everything the whole bloated life scene might have to trim down and get back to his punk roots we don't know
0: yeah absolutely and i think we've seen a little bit of that bit of people kind of getting a bit creative with with how they're putting gigs i've seen frank turner's kind of done a few little tiny things yeah. and now he's put taking a little mini festival on tour around the place yeah yeah well um, i mean i
1: used to manage frank when he when he was in million dead and i mean you know through the pandemic he's been very proactive mm-hmm. helping venues and also David Townsend that I manage as far as engaging his fans with podcasts, doing these guitar improvs and what we've seen with our bands is that the, over the social media figures, the bands that have engaged fans have gone up mm. and even say one of our biggest acts who hasn't done anything they dropped down so I think that people over the Covid period definitely wanted to see some engagement yeah. uh, from, from, from bands that they like
0: Absolutely. And, you know, prior to this, I'd never I'd never watched, I maybe watched one or two live streams. Um, mm. I mean, they weren't really a thing yeah. as they are now. But there, there was a few that were just absolutely yeah. brilliant. I mean, Frank Turner's one was great as well. I uh-huh. know there was a big production that went into that. Yeah. But it was brilliant just seeing so many acoustic and stripped down. Yeah. So that, that's that been great. Well,
1: well, what we did with live streaming, I mean, we were one of the first companies to do it. So we, Catatonia, that's the Swedish founder, yeah. K because they didn't have proper <laughs> lockdowns. So we did that early on. So we did Catatonia, we've done Calatonia, we've done... Who else? Paradise Lost. Uh, Devin Townsend did, has done loads. The Wild Hearts. So We're the Wild Hearts. Yeah. So I, I think going forward, streaming live streams will be part of a band's business. But the other good thing about it is that you can utilise it to launch an album and get a worldwide audience. Yeah. So, you know, I can say financially... You know, certainly in Devin's case, you know, we were doing five, six thousand tickets. Plus, in the Wild Arts case, we sold a thousand t shirts. Now, you wouldn't do that (laughs) at a normal club show. So, I think there is a place for it. You can't replace live, but I think going forward, bands will probably tour less and combine it with streams. Mm -hmm. Because also with Brexit and different countries, I've got a band playing in Poland, and now we've been told AstraZeneca is not accepted. Oh, so, so it's going to be, it, you know, I don't think normal live will, will return to about twenty twenty five like it is, and, and because of everything that's gone on, I can't see bands touring like they did, and mm-hmm. then it's not the infrastructure anymore. Yeah,
0: no, I, I can I can see that. So you, you spoke about your background. What yeah. I like to get get um, get a sense of is kind of how you first first got back, it got into music and okay. your introduction. So taking it as far back, and I, I normally ask people, um, so can you remember kind of your first musical experience and I generally say sort of like car music something that you as a kid were exposed to no no it wasn't wasn't really
1: car music I mean when I was uh, I'll say about eight or nine I used to watch Top of the Pops and dress Mm -hmm. my action men up and make guitars and you know (laughs) I was into Slade and, dare I say it, Gary Glitter at that time and I didn't really understand Bowie because it was like the laughing gnome and it was like I, I didn't really get that and then I lived in Papua New Guinea from the age of 10 to 12 oh, wow. and my dad was a teacher and at this school there was there was a band called Caravac Cowboys and there was literally you know, black guys playing Slade songs which was really weird yeah. so I really liked that and then when I came back it was 1977. 78 and sort of punk Punk, was starting i was young but i have to say punk was the thing that really got me into the music business because it was even though i was very young on the original punk the kind of second wave of a narco punk do it yourself you know i had a band i couldn't sing but it didn't matter you know we had a a agenda and i mean that's how i kind of slipped in, in into management so definitely punk and you know without punk and that whole DIY thing, I don't. I wouldn't be necessarily doing this. So
0: where where were you then? Where, when you came back to to the UK? Where was Well, well you when, when, I, when I
1: came back to the UK, I was it was in Devon, in Exeter, mm-hmm. and then when I was fourteen, when I sort of moved up here, was when I think at sixteen, I had a, a, a band called Living Dead. And, oh right, yeah, yeah. And then I was managing a band called Chronic, and we used to do kind of combined gigs because two of their bands would be like double drummers for us. So the thing at the time, looking at chronic and what's interesting now with lockdown, loads of people from the past are wanting tapes and a lot of stuff's emerging, you know, but I was literally 16 selling tapes around the world, ringing up pubs, trying to get a gig and they go, no, it's heavy metal here. And that's how it was. It was heavy metal or punk. And then you had the mod scene and, you know, at the time, you know, I still listen back to chronic demos and, you know, I'm sure, but if I was older and the knowledge I have now I could have got them signed yeah yeah
0: that was, was it what was it the energy the kind of well no I mean
1: basically they I mean it was very much like a clash with the, with, with the Beatles because they could all oh, play wow. they could play really well but it was you know the, so, the the songs were catchy they had the image and everything it was a three piece and uh, you know that's three piece bands they're cheap to run and uh Yeah, I mean that was sort of there and I kind of went from there you know, putting on local bands doing a fanzine I mean there's an exhibition up at Cartwright Hall when we were young and it's my magazine um, Apathy's there so basically we put all the local bands into a studio to do a compilation tape and the band Crass came and did a benefit gig for us (laughs) so uh, I I was about 16 or something at the time and put a few flexi discs out and, you know then i got a bill off mcps i was like what's this because <laughs> you know in the sort of <laughs> yeah. punk days do it yourself you didn't necessarily know about publishing it was just you would put a record out and we'd literally yeah. write to people uh, around the country so there'd be say dick at the subhumans and, and john robb who's in the membranes who did Blackpool mm. rocks who were, i don't know published and we used to so get the most from your post where you put the stamp on put soap over the top sending your stuff off and then you tell them in the letter just wipe it off stick it back on brilliant <laughs> that's, that's how it was
0: that's, that's, amazing. Oh, yeah. that's amazing yeah i guess you know now you've got the 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 all knowing internet to if you want mm. to dig into anything but back then you know understanding publishing and finding oh method. yeah but,
1: but it wasn't just that i think the thing with the internet is you know some people say the internet killed the music business but you have to understand when i started we would be sending a cassette off to e m i records manchester square, London. You didn't even know the a and r guy was. He'd yeah. have to put a stamp addressed envelope and, you know with my first band, I actually got signed I've got all the refusals in in a scrapbook from various a and r people that I remember and uh, so so you know with the internet it's a lot easier. It's like for me if somebody sends me an a I reply to everybody I get mm. three four hundred emails a day, even fans whereas before to you, to get through to an A&R you know you wouldn't do it necessarily on the phone I won't take phone calls to anybody yeah. But so the internet has freed that up but the other thing is you know whatever you think about streaming and what bands get paid on it you can be huge somebody like Bring Me The Horizon you know had mm. a massive fan base before and they built it up and you can tour and people have heard your songs whereas when yes. I started out it was tape trading and it was it was very different and it was much like you'd have to get in the press and read yeah. about a band, and you would create your own biog and say, we're influenced, like my band, I put Leonard Cohen. We were right. an anarcho-punk band, so I <laughs> wanted it to be different. Whereas now, Spotify decides who your fans are. Yes, yeah. Which can be unfortunate, but if you're a brand new band, you could go on Spotify, play your song, go to a band you want to be associated with and do it like that initially, yeah. but eventually algorithms come through and they decide who your fans are.
0: Yeah, that's that's very. I hadn't thought of that. Because it's sure. very, it's
1: <laughs> very, um, it's important to know who your fans are. I don't want to say monetize them, but it's like you have to know how to sell them. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I was managing sixty-five days of static, slightly different to other bands, yeah. I do. <coughs> Could I recognise their fans? You know, somebody with a little. Rucksack, I don't know. You know, when you (laughs) see the band live, they're heavier than a lot of heavy bands I've got, but they didn't want to be associated with that, and it's a case of, you know, they're they're up for a prog award. They're like, well, we're not prog, you know, because they're in that post-rock sort of thing. So, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It is important as a band is to actually know who you're aiming for who your fans are mm. the question I always say to a band if I'm talking to them about taking them on is I'm saying if you could support anybody and take their audience who would it be yeah and, and, and then I get an idea of what they want to do like Southern Death Cult they were from Bradford supported Theatre of Hate and they really got all their audience because there's yeah. many bands, you could support Slayer, New Model Army, Sisters of Mercy. It's very mm. hard to convert those fans. but Yeah, I think they're it, solid. <laughs> yeah, it's very, you know, so it's like if you can identify with a band where you think you can take their fans, mm-hmm. that, I think that, that that's a good move. Because a lot of bands, they don't always know where they fit. And the problem is, in America, they like it to fit in the hole. Yeah. You yeah. know I mean one of the first band I got signed and I had uh, w- what would have been hypnosis and became icon did the artwork and it was men in suits with African masks and they were like this is a fresh metal band and they're <laughs> like what's this world music so yeah yeah you know oh. it, it, it could be very stage you know when you two were big they were signing everyone that sound, sounded like you too well, they're still big but but yeah so so the music industry you know I like the word disrupt now mm. disrupt the music industry and be different and because it's still very like it likes to put you in a box and now you are seeing acts that are are doing huge numbers of streaming and some of them DIY and so that's bringing a punk spirit of you know swapping cassettes and DIY squat touring kind of coming through into the internet age.
0: Yeah absolutely and I think uh, it was oh Enter Shikari, I think, were one of the massive ones to do that, weren't they? With the yeah. selling out the Astoria before they yeah, were yeah. signed and kind of doing everything uh, their own way. And they very much, I think, they're, they're still carrying on that, no, that they ethos. No, they
1: still do that. So, I mean, Ian Johnson, who's, a, who's their manager, who's a friend of mine, and his background is punk, and it's, yeah, they're very like a bit of a kind of cooperative thing, and they do do it that way. And mm. bands, you know, what they can do now, they can have their own label and do it and then do like a label services deal if they need... You know, finance because you can put a record out, but doing it worldwide, you need a network. And you know, I always say any band can distribute, but it's all about marketing, mm. so you need a good marketing guy or you need to have a budget for marketing.
0: Yeah, not traditionally the stuff that, that musicians are, are best at. Well, you know, I mean, you can hire me.
1: people, but there's a lot of people out there that charge a lot of money and say, Oh, you know, press. You know, essentially, I love front covers, mm. press, but you know, the reality is now. How do you get through to people? It's digitally. As a manager, I was like, I hated them saying, oh, we're we're just doing digital marketing. That in the old days was like, we're not spending anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But But, you know, I can see, you know, when you're online and it's like stuff's coming up all the time, or even, you know, if you look at a product for, for, say, a child's going, oh, about this Lego, all of a sudden Mm. you're getting spammed with all this stuff. And if I could tap into how to do that, because it's quite frightening how big companies do that, and whether they're listening in. And if we could oh, do they, that, without for a the doubt. music industry it might might be a bit better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was, I was I was chatting to to one of my friends who I haven't spoken to for a long time on on the uh, messenger on Facebook, yeah. and I was saying that he's that there's a, a band from Leeds that are heading down to Leicester his way, um, and was he was he anything to do with promoting them? And he said no, um, and then. I got another message from him two days later saying somebody's listening, and they popped up on his Spotify playlist. All right. and he's like, "I've never heard of them before, ever." Right. So yeah, yeah. so clearly there's something going on. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. that's Tree Boy and Ark from uh, from Leeds right. going down to Leicester. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that was a bit scary, <laughs> but uh, yeah, worth yeah. a listen. So he, he got it. It pushed him to have a listen. Um, so in terms of your kind of live live music you, you just mm. said obviously you, you, you attend so you clearly attend a lot of events a lot of a lot of gigs
1: uh, well no i mean as a manager i'm not a person who believes that you can manage on the road i have mm. nine people all together and but i used to do a lot of travel around the world but i have more of a personal life now so i don't travel <laughs> as much and also being at home now i don't necessarily want to travel as much so <clears throat> going to gigs i mean now i don't go to loads i mm. mean obviously if I've got a band doing Royal Albert Hall or Red Rocks big gigs I'll be there in the old days with Paradise Lost it was like if it was a warm gig somewhere abroad I'd go (laughs) and sell merch and get a tan but um yeah so the other thing you know joking aside it's like if your band's playing on a weekend near you you kind of have to be there it's like well it's a weekend but um yeah, so it's, it, you know, may, may, like I do not go on full tours, so we have tour managers and things for that, but I think that in rock and metal we get limited radio and TV, so it's all about live, and yeah. obviously look what's happened to live, so it's important to see that a band can deliver live. Mm-hmm. So live is a huge part of our business, and, you know, there's various businesses here, different music businesses, and that's why we set up the agency you know so i mean i've got like management i've got booking agency publishing records merch dvd company because as a manager you're jack of all trades but what i'd seen when i started out it was all about the record you would get a massive deal and you would go on tour and get tour support to promote the record then it's like that all changes and we're like to the band you know make your record Which to them, you know, is their big thing and it is their piece of art. Get it out. And then it's like, right, go on tour. And then you purveyors of cloth. You're selling T-shirts. So over the whole COVID thing, I've I've had to revert back to looking at all the albums and doing reissues. I've got lots of bands that have got recoup catalogs. So we're lucky. So we're not having to do X amount of touring. But so the whole thing has shifted back to the album now.
0: And how, how about the? I guess the I've seen amongst my friends and, and me as well the the whole vinyl kind of resurgence. Yeah, of people wanting that again.
1: Well, vinyl, you know, for me is it, it's huge. You know, I mean, I manage Opeth, and their last album we did thirty five thousand worldwide first week on vinyl, which is big. As you can see, there's loads there. So the yeah. thing with vinyl, huge is, pile. You know, on my little label, Graphite Records, you know, I'm releasing the Wild Arts album, looking at pre-orders, hopefully we'll go top five. But I've ordered 6,000 vinyl. Mm. Now, bigger labels than me can't get it pressed. I have a connection with somebody who has a connection, and I can get it done. So if I had spare money, I'd buy a a vinyl plant, without a doubt, because vinyl is back hugely. And the thing is, like, when you look at those box sets... Mm. There's a lot of money, and also in Germany, which is the fourth biggest market in the world, to get in the charts, it goes on value. So here we might discount stuff. So you can, I think it's only up to 40 euros for the content, but you need to do like some sort of deluxe box set to really get a good chart position. Oh, wow. So, you know, I think that the music industry is going, oh, you know, it's digital, the age is digital, but certainly in, in rock and metal vinyl is big and you know I have bands that do huge amounts and you know recently with Covid and people not being in the office I've had mm. somebody in and we've been clearing our cupboards out and found stuff like Devin Towns and then buy a thread it's £400 on Discogs so we're sending it all down to the web store we're not going to sell it for as much as no, that I know, but, but literally
0: some gems have sent like £3,000
1: £3, worth of vinyl down, down for the web store <laughs> and stuff because the deals that I do with the labels we get x amount of free copies mm. and, and yeah mm. vinyl is uh, very important but again getting it pressed making sure yeah. the test pressing it's all a bit it, it, it's so much more expensive but that whole thing of feeling something that's, is better that's
0: i think that's as, as much as things have become digitalized mm. in in the world in general yeah. i think people are now really longing for that physical like you yeah. say for something to touch something to hold yeah. and you know i, I I remember, I've said this before on the podcast, that I remember being, I was I think I was eight years old and my first purchase was Alice Cooper, Hey Stupid. Right. And as much as I loved the, you know, I loved the songs and they were catchy yeah. and poppy and, mm-hmm. and, you know, hair metal-y as, as hell, I also, the colour, the, the colours on that, that vinyl, the, you know, the front yeah. cover's just in your it was a cartoon basically yeah yeah well i mean I've I done, was prime market for that
1: I've, I've done stuff like lenticular sleeves and i've got the devin Townsend pop-up you know when I was a kid I would literally in the pump things I would buy one single a week that's all mm. I could afford but when picture covers came in yeah or colored vinyl which chrysalis enzyme label did a lot I mean I would just buy it on the cover and, and how it looked yeah I was a pump guy but I bought all the individual Kiss <laughs> solo things just because i wanted to collect it and i think the thing is that you know i collected stamps as well as a kid but you know vinyl is a collection and it has also got value Mm. i like my stamp collection when i nearly went bust and it wasn't (laughs) worth anything but um so you know the singer of opeth for example has got probably hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of vinyl and, you know, he trades some of it. And he said to me, right, I want you to get this. It's in England, this Black Sabbath. It's the original swirl. It's £250. Yeah. And his knowledge is huge. Same with Stephen Wilson. And, you know, down the road here, there's, there's a place that's a record shop and a cafe. And it, there's real room, even though retailers and music have been suffering, I think that whole thing of going through vinyl, having coffee, mm. a bit of food, like the old record shop there, yeah. there is a thing for that because people like it's like that vintage feel yeah it's just like you've got vintage clothes shops and things like that so vinyl's very important yeah, yeah
0: absolutely so going back to the live thing can you remember what was the live, first live performance you saw
1: the first band I saw mm. the first well the first gig I went to apart from the thing in New Guinea was it was a, a punk band from Bradford called The Negatives um, who, who released A single called love is not real it's actually worth a lot now and so the negatives and the thing was i think i I was pretty i was young and i had a bit of a boyish face and i had this problem when i was in a band so i used to uh, light a match and then rub it so that i'd have a bit (laughs) of stubble so it was the negatives and then uh, the as far as a major known band was motorhead (laughs) on the overkill tour and i think i was about 14 or 15
0: but that was an experience uh, well I went by
1: myself and it was full of Satan, <laughs> slaves and smell of patchouli it was kind of frightening yeah. so it was motorhead and, and, and girls school so you know I was a punk but it was alright to, to go to motorhead in the because, kind of thrash yeah because yeah. motorhead you know with punks and it yeah. crossed over and then when The Clash played here I, I sent the guys in my band I said oh here's my money for the ticket." and they said oh it's sold out and they spent it on on cider so i never got to see him <laughs> i used to go to a lot of gigs st george's halls but yeah so my old yeah. Head was first and then just stuff like stiff little fingers and all of that scene and then you know other bands assault sort of nirvana early on faith no more oh. early on all that all that stray cats you know warped home and stuff um so yeah and you know that experience live is good and you know back in the day it was pogoing about yeah, and, yeah. Uh, the spitting was a weird thing and yes yeah you know even when i had my own band it was a case of the police used to raid venues a lot and i was 16 and i was underage yeah and it was a bit worrying and if i look back at pictures now i look young yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> used to, used to have the, yeah, they were always raiding stuff uh so but you know it was just it was all that whole DIY and setting up gigs and uh, the one one in twelve club in Bradford and things oh
0: that's I've done a couple of episodes there as well i I managed to play there a few times back when I was gigging around but uh, yes well well, I was was
1: involved very early at the beginning uh, you know if you read all the books and stuff when it was at the Metropole my Mm. band and that used to play there and then think when I got a band signed, I was like, well, you're a capitalist, you're not coming in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it was a bit, bit bit, weird like that. But yeah, no, so I mean, very early gigs, like the five year bookshop gigs and one in 12 at the Metropole. Mm. And I used to promote a lot of gigs. So What's, I kind of, you know, what I did was I'd obviously put on gigs. Mm. I was managing bands, but I would put the gigs on as how well. How did you
0: get, how did you go from, I guess, performing being in a band to, right. to kind of sliding into the the management promotion well, because side because the
1: thing is in every band there's one person that does everything you were and the organiser and, and that was me and i mean you know at the yeah. end of the day i went to the first rehearsal with my cheap electric guitar i couldn't play it so mm. i ended up on vocals i can't sing but it didn't matter so it, it was a case of you know i was the person organizing the gigs so even though i couldn't really sing that well, we certainly packed a lot of people in mm-hmm. because back then it was all about making collages and posters and just 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 creating a scene. Um, so so that that's what happened, and then from there was managing some other local bands. Um, and then when I when I left Sheffield Polly, I set up in business on the enterprise scheme, and then I took on this band called Slammer from Bradford who signed to Warner's. Oh wow! I, I was about twenty-one, twenty-two amazing very very young yeah I'll yeah picture here very young it's oh brilliant So it's that extremely dusty
0: that is fantastic where is that I'll, uh, the, I'll that, take that, a this photo is, this is actually I'll take a photo and post it so a, people can see that's me. in Who my first black and white first photo. office
1: that was but, you know at the time I had like all major labels ringing up will beat any offer and stuff and uh yeah, yeah, it was a big thing because you know back in the day, you know being in the north, but loads of A and R people would come up to the whole region. Right. Okay. And you know even then there was more going so, on in Bradford than Leeds.
0: So that the the myth of you have to go down to London to get signed.
1: No, no, that, that 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 was rubbish then. So you know what's interesting? I mean, I've got another tape in there which is one on a Friday. It's tape one a Friday. I've still got it, and that's the original Radiohead demo for EMI. So all these A&R people would come up and caught in bands like, you know, when they were looking at New Model Army, mm. Television, you know, Slammer got signed. There was, you know, so an A&R person would go out to the scene. What happened with a lot of bands was they would get signed and they would go and move to London. Mm-hmm. But the reality is rehearsals are more expensive, yeah. living, and, you know, you ponce about all these parties, attend an opening of an envelope so you can survive eating, <laughs> but... I don't think you have to sort of do it as long as you're regularly going down. But there was a massive, uh, yeah, A&R people would travel all the time. And as I said, when my previous company, when I had a partnership, was called Far North Music, and we were A&R scouts for about 10 companies that we got paid for. Oh, wow. So all the major companies, and then labels like Go Discs and stuff like that, Chrysalis, Warners, EMI, Island. Amazing.
0: Amazing. Anybody anybody you uh, passed up that you wish you'd, you would have?
1: Uh, well, not, not, gone into not then. With. But I mean, certainly on the management front, when Million Dead split up and Frank mm. Turner said, This is what I'm doing now, I'm like, I don't get it. And then when I had an intern here, he found a Maximo Park uh, cassette demo. <laughs> um, when I was really young, when I was working out of the studio, there was a House Martins demo. Oh, wow. So I was <laughs> mega young then. Yeah. And yeah. then. Um, yeah, I brought it for my Valentine when they were called Jeff Killed John. I didn't really get in the car and go to Wales, so it's yeah, you you, you do. You can't get yeah. everything.
0: Yeah, so I I guess I guess that there is still a beauty in the fact that you know people reached out to you and nice to have heard it at the start and seen how people progress as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well I think, you know, the thing is once you've got going and you've got a few bands doing well, people mm. look out and say Who's managing? What label are yeah. they on? And then bands come to you, and it's slightly mm-hmm. different. Or lawyers say, "Here, have a band." You know, I mean, Opeth's yeah. my biggest selling band, and I was managing, still manage Paradise Lost, and at the time on Music for Nations, they were the biggest selling band. And the MD rang me up, so look, we got six bands to need management, yeah. and so Opeth was one I picked. They played in Bradford, they on tour, you know, came from Sweden, and yeah, had a meeting, and we went from there, and. You know, they've sold out Red Rocks and mm. Royal Albert Hall now, and you know, leaders within their genre. So, so when I started, it was very much about bands in the north, which was Newcastle down to Derby. Yeah, lots of people think it's called Northern Music because I have loads of Scandinavian bands now. Right. I actually hardly have any English it works bands. Yeah, I hardly <laughs> have any English bands. The big problem with the name is that. The Beatles had a publishing company called Northern Songs, so sometimes yeah. I get emails to do with Beatles songs. <laughs> but yeah, it was about being artist-centric. I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't say I know everything about the local scene anymore.
0: Yeah, I guess I guess that's changed. But, I, you know, I... I first heard about Northern Music. It will have. It will have. I was. I came to Opeth very late through Northern Music, right? Um, because you were. I think you were looking after in me. Yeah. Um, and I think. I think. My band had just played with with Dave at at the the second incarnation of Bradford Rios. Right, uh, okay. So he, he was playing acoustic. Um, my band All was right. playing, and I had a chat with him, and then. Uh, yeah, then I found Northern music on the internet. Right, and right. I know a load of friends were talking about Opeth, um, right. and I saw yeah, I saw Opeth on that. Oh, best give him a listen then, right, um, right. and yeah, absolutely blew me away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 just absolutely outstanding. But something I probably would have just. Mm kept casting aside for a while but because it was there in front of me and there was a link yeah and, well know, I mean
1: this, this is also the thing that you know I always marketed OPEF as like the Pink Floyd Led Zeppelin of Extreme Metal that you know you mm-hmm. had Kerrang forcing yeah. you know bands like In Me all over and OPEF it was like oh well they're a bit boring they, they only talk <laughs> about music instead of their problems like all these other American <laughs> bands but I could tell you some stories on that but it's uh <laughs> Yeah, so you get this whole kind of thing where the press hype, you know, there's been hundreds of bands that, My Ruin and all these mm, ones in right. the past, and it's like, but they never really achieved. Mm. And then you have bands that go along mm. as a cottage industry or, or that are much bigger than you think, you know, and it was like Porcupine Tree, you know, obviously Stephen Wilson, and yeah. the Porcupine Tree when out years ago. I was like, aren't they like Osric Tentacles or something? Because they were all part of that <laughs> scene at first. So... You know, and that was a band where people were older when they broke through. Yeah, because what did happen a lot? Of A&R people were, uh, they and our people were—they would say, sort of, "How old's the band?" Yeah, and if they're over a certain age, it's like next. Yeah, because
0: they something with, a, with a life force or something that will appeal to kids. Yeah,
1: so so it's kind of changed, you know, a bit bit now. So so there is markets for both, and you know, having the older audience. OPEF's audience a lot of them are doctors and vets they're mm. very money they buy the, vo- the, the vinyl they buy all the merch yeah you know we've got £100 books all sorts of stuff and uh, that's good and the other thing is that when you have a band with an older audience if it's a group of venues owned they'll pay you more because they're going to do more on the beer you can be yes. the hottest Korean yeah, yeah, band and are 14 right. year olds and there's no beer sales yeah. and anyone owning a venue knows it's all about the bar take yeah
0: Absolutely. Now, you know, I I think when I was gigging around, we had that issue. You know, we were kids at the time, and yeah. so yeah, all of our fans were kids. Yeah. And you yeah, would very much be, you know, do you want a door take or a bar take? So we'll go for the door because you're not making any money on the bar. Mm. <laughs> People will be drinking water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so what? What is it that you? What is the the key thing that would it would sparks that interest for you in the band? Well, I
1: think the key thing is, I mean. The problem i got with what, what I do is I get sent loads of bands and I'm like well I've heard this before mm-hmm. I don't think the record companies the record music scene is always looking for the new things they don't always know what to do with it but it's like if you've got a leader in a genre why do you need somebody else so for example you know I have Paradise Lost they invented gothic metal we gave mm-hmm. him the first their first gig we gave Ghost their first gig yeah. and they have that sound and then so if you've got somebody replicating it or then there's other bands trying to be opeth so you know when you look at some of the acts i have say like devin opeth pl they've very much got their sound you know who it mm-hmm. is you know like i managed soil work for a bit and they were part of that whole scene but in flames was ahead and you know we tried to break them through radio so so for me obviously you're listening to the songs but mm-hmm. what is a song in metal you know i've got bands with 10 minute long songs yeah. And I have to listen to albums, and I'm like, "Well, where's the hit single?" Because <laughs> I'm given a piece of art, and we have to look at how to manage it. I yeah. mean, Devin Townsend's doing a new album now with Garth Richardson, who obviously you know did Rage Against the Machine, mm-hmm. but did the big Biffy album, and, yeah. you know. So we're looking at some songs, and hopefully, you know, just seeing if we can break it outside a little bit. But I think, uh, yes, yeah, so the first thing I'm looking at is the music and the songs and the song can be doesn't have to be a hit I mm-hmm. like catchy stuff you know I'm in the wild Hearts I mean Ginger's one of the best songwriters in yeah. Britain it's very catchy but you know they are the band that's kind of things some things always happen or whatever but, you know fantastic songs very yeah. strong very catchy so I'm listening to the song and then you know the name the imagery because i think you can get away to a certain extent in rock and metal and not being totally photogenic but um you've got to have some sort of strong image
0: okay where yeah, that's
1: yeah. your logo so when you look at logos mm. opeth stands out and I, you know what i tell bands you know so unfortunately with devin townsend like a bloodstock he's headlining because of the font because <laughs> he's kind of gone solo now it yeah. doesn't. so when opeth come on he stands out paradise Lost stands out so you know the logo your imagery is really important and you know i bands you know when they put lower down on the bill they do it alphabetically yeah so get a name at the start yes. of it uh <laughs> yeah. the alphabet a but, is a good example yeah, of yeah that. yeah <laughs> Yeah, but your problem with A is that when you're looking it up you a name you, like that, you, you can't, can't Google it. Yeah, that that is that's another yeah. big problem that bands <laughs> yeah. need to look at. So, so yeah, you know, I'm listening to the song, then you look at the imagery. You know, the name is really important because you know merchandise is a big part of the mm. band's income. So you have to, you know, do they have a symbol? What are they about? Who's the fan base? But obviously, the music is first. Yeah. So I do not take on anybody I don't like musically. But something I've learnt over the last two years is that I shouldn't get obsessed with the music. I should meet the people first because you can take on a band and then realise you don't get on with some of the people, yeah. and that's a massive problem as a manager.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was hoping that that would that that would crop up because yeah. it, you know, in my in my romantic view of of sort of management and stuff like that, yeah, it's it's about the people as well rather than just. Yeah. Rather than just the the kind of how much money can I make out of you? Yeah, that well, sort yeah
1: of no, thing. I, I think the thing is you have different relationships. I've managed Paradise Lost. What is it, 30, 30 years? Mm. Uh, Opest, you know, twenty. Devins, ten. You know, long term really only take long term relationships with bands. Now, some of them, I might go out for a drink with, or it's social. But what I've learned is, it's also about having boundaries because the thing is if you feel that you're like best friends your relationship ends you're not going to take it well it's going to be like a breakup yeah, yeah. so so for me you know, I never used to drop bands and recently in the last three years I've got rid of bands mm. I never did that before I would hang in there to the end which is what I used to do with my personal relationships <laughs> so, you know it's so, a, so, a general so, breakthrough there yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I was you know so I think it, it, it's a case of yeah having the boundaries so you know this acts I managed a few that sacked me a few I dropped I still have relationships the mm-hmm. first time that happened to me I went out to destroy that band because I did not take it well yeah. because I'd given everything and yeah, it the thing personal. is if you're a manager if it's going great you rarely get it oh you're doing great for us but if it's going shit you certainly know about it yeah yeah so, so it's a weird kind of relationship but um I would say you know my relationship with, with my bands is good in that it's been long. There's, mm. there's not a lot of people been doing it have the same bands as long as me.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can, I can relate from a you know when when I've been in bands and and members have left mm. and you kind of you you know you've you've built up again in that kind of romantic way built the the band on you know yeah. friend, friends first and you kind of feel like you've been cheated on. Yeah. <laughs> when people oh Well, leave. yeah, well, I mean, I've had, have
1: to, that, that. I've had to deal with loads of people being sacked in bands and when there's money involved and it is very difficult mm-hmm. because you, you might have been childhood friends. You know, the first one I dealt with was, you know, the original drummer of Paradise Lost and when they started, they, you know, they rehearsed in the, the drummer's dad's mm. garage and uh, that was a particularly heavy one. I was having to speak to the parents and, you know, but yeah. everything's all good now but it is, yeah, because it's very it's like a relationship when you're in the band or even as a manager and you're all part of the, oh, we're going for yeah. it and uh, yeah and sometimes it happens that so and so can't play well enough you're out or you're not good enough as a manager the other big thing is you know as a manager there's always people sharks circling yes. and so if you're an inexperienced manager somebody might come and steal the band so I, I would always it. say if you if you're a young young manager is to try and Get in touch with a management company and say, Look, I've got this hot band. Can I come work for you or do some sort mm-hmm. of deal or, or, or go in that way? But so that way you can protect yourself from people that's coming in. That's an
0: interesting idea, yeah. That's, that's you a know, very good point. Get some friends around you, some people. Well, no, so, it's up. not
1: just friends, but it's like if you are seeing that you're working at a management company with some bigger bands, you know, if you're just mm. Joe Blogs, you've got this great hot band, but you're not 100% sure what you're doing. Somebody's gonna come in, right? Record label might go, this guy doesn't have a clue. Yeah. And um yeah, so I mean that's certainly you know, I certainly know on my first signing I went on holiday to Turkey and there was already went done the deal, but there were people manoeuvring about. Oh right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, it's, you've got to be you've gotta be you you've gotta be really really careful. Yeah and it's weird, you know, and I've done deals where I've had bands where I've done a co-management deal with Americans. It's never worked out. No. You so, well, you've, I
0: guess you've, you've now got the, the experience to know what works for you and hopefully can... Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the part. thing is,
1: I understand the American market, not not like massively on radio, mm. but I know I've got the content on what to do there, but it's culturally it's very different, and I always say this is UK bands. If you think going off to a big American manager, they just think differently and everything is very money and it's Yeah. There's a lot of hot air. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I first went there they were sending limos for us. You're looking up in Manhattan and then nothing happened. We had a meeting about whether the band was punk or metal and that was it. And it's like <laughs> this label actually paid us to manage this band. And so, so, you know, you you know, I used to say to labels, look, you're giving us all these dinners I said, How about a bit more tour support? We yeah. don't need all this poncing about it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely but, uh, spend
0: the money well on something yeah. that's gonna do something. Well, you know,
1: of course people do like that in the early yeah. days and that kind of whining and dining's changed a lot. It used to be huge. You know, yeah, when yeah. I first started out I'd get off the train in London and go straight into a lunch meeting into another <laughs> Luckily, sushi had just come in and just have about four <laughs> lunches and that that would sort me out or, you know, dinner with people. But there's not as much culture of that.
0: I guess the the digital side has probably contributed towards that in that you can do stuff from distance rather than face-to-face. Well, yeah, yeah, there is,
1: you know, so this is what I, I like to have face-to-face, go out with somebody in the evening, a few drinks, you get to know them. Mm. If you like somebody you get much more i've been doing loads of zooms it means i don't have to travel yeah you know i used to go to australia i know the whole scene there but it take four weeks to, to, to recover and then i was flying through. i didn't know where i was and it was it <laughs> so so yeah the digital but you still if you get on with somebody or somebody likes you you're going to get a better result yeah. or you're going to get a favor and the thing is in this business there's lots of favors yeah. so if I'm like to a promoter right I've got this new band I need a favour there's a headliner here but like I need them opening and all of this kind of thing goes on
0: lots of lots of networking and about, about the contacts yeah
1: networking got. contacts so you know Damnation Festival in Leeds I mean two mm-hmm. years ago when it was on the last one we had 13 bands on wow I think that's the most anybody's had across all our, <laughs> took our over companies the festival so yeah, you know, so, so so yeah, you can do all this digital and stuff, but there's still a thing about having a hang with mm. somebody. Because, you know, again, same with bands. So if you've got a manager uh, or you're a manager in a band, I think it's important to spend time with each other. Yeah. Because you can hear, you do a phone call and think, this guy's great, he fills you full of hot air. You meet him and you're like, well, he's a jerk. Yeah. So no, you know what I, I mean? You've got to spend a bit of time. And I had a situation with a band where... I'd done the deal, and you know I was in Germany at this restaurant. They were like, it'll take us out!" and it was costing a bomb. And I just realised one of them I knew I wouldn't better get on with them. Yeah, and I was correct. <laughs> so managed to sidestep that one. Well, no, it was just no, no, no. because I did manage that band, but it was a case of so many emails like, you either want a manager or you don't. If you know better, you go do it yourself. Yeah.
0: You know? Great. Well. I could I could quite happily take up your entire evening, Andy, but mm. I, I will let, I will let you go just before we before we wrap up here. Uh, anything you want to shout out that you got coming up?
1: Well, coming up at the moment, I'm trying to. So with OPEF we've got a, a new version of their last album in corner in chord of venom. I can't even pronounce it. Coming out, and um, we're doing a a massive tour in America. Mm-hmm. But I'm dealing with the uh, the situation of, of actually being able to get in there. I've got a Wild Arts album coming out on my label, which looks beautiful, by the way. The, yeah. the vinyls that so I've seen the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. various different versions of Twenty First Century Love Songs, <sighs> really? which are a little tiny label. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it in the charts and put two fingers up to the industry. It looks awesome. And it's interesting. You said the vinyl versions. A lot of fans are complaining, but you know this is how you don't have to buy it. This is how you get bands in yeah. the charts, and I'm doing the same with Ferocious Dog. So I've got that, and then. Um, yeah, we've just announced Devin Townsend doing Royal Albert Hall. Amazing. So we've got a lot of tours and, and and albums coming. And, you know, basically just adjusting to the massive change that's gone on, mm-hmm. I don't think Live will come back full-time as we are. I would say, I don't know another music company that's not done massive furlough. We have not done furlough here. We kept going and... Um, basically looked at every other way of making money and making bands money whether yeah. that whether that's streaming selling candles doing prize draws yeah. or, or what have you to get creative yeah amazing
0: brilliant well thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure no um absolutely fascinating so there it is finally episode 54 with andy farrow of northern music company i'm pleased to say that i have since visited soltaire on multiple occasions since this um, and i can vouch for a lot of their fine bars um, and also the Saltaire Brewery is worth checking out um, they have some delicious beers. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation um, as I said in the intro I genuinely find the, the kind of in, inner workings of any creative part of the industry fascinating um, and there'll be plenty more episodes featuring those that kind of make the magic happen um, but if you're new to the podcast and you want to check out other episodes along the same line um, we've got Alan Raw. Um, from bbc introducing and the hip gallery in, in hull the episode with um with tree Stead, who's an award-winning tour manager currently working with frank turner um and off the top of my head there's also the episode with oliver jones um who's the the man one of well, one of the people behind the Deer Shed festival so yeah check those out and there'll be plenty more to come so thank you very much for listening and um, if you've enjoyed this, please spread the word um, and if you feel so inclined, give us a five-star rating um, on the Apple Podcast app, if that's what it's called, um, Spotify or or wherever you're listening to this. Um, you can follow on the social medias on Instagram or Facebook and it all helps to just raise the profile and get more guests. I think that's quite enough from me now. So thank you very much. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening. Thank you very much and good night.